0: Hey there, welcome to the Lord to Death podcast. My name's Brett, and after the overwhelmingly positive response from the last Baldur's Gate episode, I'm here to bring you another. However, this one's going to be a little bit different in the way that it won't be nearly as accessible to those who haven't beaten the game because of spoilers. Now, before you turn off the game because you're on your fourth playthrough without having actually beaten the game, this is only going to be spoilers for the character Withers, which makes sense because he is the topic of today's episode. There are going to be some end-game spoilers, but it hardly has anything to do with the plot of the game. Pretty much just old Withers and one specific cutscene that's centered around him. That being said, if you just don't want any of those spoilers, then I would just tune out of this one until you've rolled credits and finished the epilogue. This is because today I want to talk about Withers and who he is. And now I don't just mean that creepy skeleton man that rose from a crypt in Act 1, but rather who he really is is that isn't explicitly said in the game because of that i just want to give the forewarning that when i reveal who i believe withers is there's nothing in the game that explicitly states his true identity but this is a very common belief and so when i put forth my arguments as to why i believe what i believe there's pretty much no denying it so if you don't want to know that then now is your chance to run away If you don't mind some minor spoilers about a relatively minor character, then you're free to stay. I will be name-dropping some characters from Baldur's Gate 3, but it's nothing really that'll spoil the main story. At least in my opinion. But first, let's talk about Withers and his role in the game from stuff that we actually know from Baldur's Gate 3. Usually I would take this time to give a little spiel about how I feel about the subject that I'm talking about before I ramble on. But I've already given a pretty lengthy description about how I feel about the game in the episode about the Blood War. And while it was a little harsh, I just want to say that again, my criticisms do not outweigh how much I love this game. I think that through and through, it's one of my favorite stories ever presented in a game, and it reminds me of old school RPGs like KOTOR and Mass Effect in a way that there's just so much to do. I'm still finding new things after a hundred hours, but... That being said, let's get into the meat and bones of this episode, or just the bones, because Withers is basically just bones, but anyways. In Act 1, one of the first things that you might have run into right after escaping the Nautiloid crash site is a crypt on the beach. Called the Dank Crypt, this is a place home to a number of goodies, including, but not limited to, a booby-trapped sarcophagus, plenty of cheese, and a temple that holds a shrine to a god. If someone in your party passes a religion check, they will notice that the insignias hanging around the crypt are those of Jergul, the former god of death. In the back of this crypt, there is a sarcophagus that holds a mummified corpse that suddenly springs back to life upon your character opening it. If you've at least played Act 1, then you know that this reanimated corpse is Withers. With taut grey skin, lifeless eyes, and a nose that Voldemort would be proud of, Withers looks to be nothing more than a man who might have lived a millennia or two. He is adorned with a decorative headpiece made of gold and bandages wrapped loosely around his arms and torso that are covered by a tattered purple robe. He speaks in a gravely whisper and his words seem to be weighted heavily, often speaking in cryptic riddles rather than outright asking or answering questions. The only time that he ever really speaks in a matter-of-fact manner is when he's talking about gods and divinity. But even when he's speaking plainly, he's still very kindly. I think it's important to mention his kindness, if but briefly, because it makes his character that much more interesting, to me. If you follow a certain path in the games, and I will keep this spoiler-free, as promised, Withers even comforts a small child after their parents' death and helps set them on their own path. Withers is even known to throw a great party now and then, but again, that's kind of spoilers. In the grand scheme of things, it seems like a small gesture, but I think it speaks volumes of his character. And speaking of his character, he refers to himself as a scribe, a seneschal, a keeper of records, which is actually very important to discerning who he is. And he offers many services to the party throughout the game. This includes the resurrection of party members, providing hirelings, which are basically just auxiliary party members, and even changing one's class. And this is all done in exchange for gold. And you might be asking yourself, what does a skeleton need gold for? and that's actually a very valid question. It's basically so that no one can say that he was helping out of the goodness of his heart or for free, which creates a sort of loophole that we'll circle back to in a minute. So while he might seem withered and frail, Withers clearly has some intense abilities that seem to transcend even life and death. And this is pretty much where we venture into spoiler territory for the epilogue and start to figure out who and what Withers is. And I just want to say, as a foreword, That his identity isn't exactly a secret, so it's not like I'm trying to plan this to be some sort of huge reveal. It's obvious if you know anything about the universe, but I digress. I just wanted to get that out of the way that I don't think I'm the first by any means. But after you complete the main quest, there is an epilogue where Withers throws a big party for the crew about six months after they finish the main quest and split off to do their own thing. What happens at this party is largely dependent on the choices that you make in the game, so there's not much point in talking about the party itself. However, at the party, Withers makes a toast to the crew and tells them that there may be a time when they're needed again and they might be called upon once more. Credits roll, and then there's a post credit scene where Withers is talking to a mural of the Dead Three, also known as the Dark Gods, the gods of death and antagonists of the game, Bane, Lord of Darkness, Ball, Lord of Murder, and Merkel, Lord of Bones all of which we will touch on in this episode. Anyways, Withers is talking to a mural of the Dead Three where he talks to them in an extremely condescending tone, very clearly disappointed in their actions. He calls them fools and vermin, and he tells them that there's basically no way that their plan would have gone unnoticed by the other gods. This cutscene makes it exceptionally obvious that Withers knows the Dead Three intimately, and he clearly understands the will of the other gods as well. And how does he know all of this? It's because he is the former god of death, Jergal. Like I mentioned before, Withers is awakened in the dank crypt which hosts the chapel of Jergal, as it is adorned by his insignia on the banners upon the walls. The undead that were guarding his sarcophagus were all designated as scribes, and one of Jergal's aliases is the final scribe, so that makes sense that his followers would also be scribes. This is strengthened by Withers describing himself as a scribe, a seneschal, a keeper of records, and funnily enough, in camp if you switch to another party member and talk to him, he mentions that he will record their name and strike it from the records if they die. Nearby in the crypt there can be found the Book of Dead Gods, which talks about the dead three who were appointed by Jerigal. There is another book in Act 3, a crumbling journal found in the ancient mausoleum, that describes a mortal's encounter with Jericho. This account describes his physical appearance as masked in gold, his skin as fine as parchment. In this account, he also asks the player who woke him, what is the worth of a single mortal's life? Which Withers asks the player character upon waking him as well. Another fun little fact, if you play as a paladin or a cleric, you can pass a skill check that will reveal that Withers has a divine aspect, a reflection of death itself. And who else was Jerogal but the former god of death? Furthermore, if you are a cleric of Kelmvor, also known as the Lord of the Dead, they will sense something familiar in Withers to which he will acknowledge it and brush off with some cryptic words as he tends to do. Because of course, if you are a cleric of the Lord of the Dead, you would probably recognize another Lord of the Dead. And furthermore, if you want to step outside of the lore of the game and go into datamide files, Wither's concept art just straight up refers to him as Jerigal, and his internal game files refer to him as Jerigal slash Avatar. Now, I think that's actually very interesting, not because it confirms that he is Jerigal, but they specifically have the word Avatar in there. In the d and universe, a deity will often represent themselves as an avatar in the physical realm. There are plenty of reasons for this, but the main one being that the loss of an avatar does not harm the deity in any way. So if they wanted to personally intervene in a situation, they would often send an avatar which held significantly less power than their true form, but still more power than even the most powerful of mortals, but could withstand being killed, so that they were essentially risking nothing in the exchange. Depending on how powerful the deity is, they could even summon more than one avatar at a time but they could not produce them endlessly or without a cost. Avatars typically took a while to reform after being destroyed on the Prime physical realm, and there's not really a guide as to how long it takes before they can summon a new one, but this would likely depend on the power of the god. My point is that Withers is likely an avatar of Jericho rather than Jerigal himself, but that doesn't make his identity any less impactful. It makes sense that when he decided that he needed to intervene in the Prime, He would send an avatar to act in his stead so that even if his heroes failed, no harm would come to his true form, and the worst case scenario is that he sends out another avatar to finish the job. I'm going to go with the active theory that Withers is an avatar of Jeragol because that just makes the most sense. It doesn't really make any sense that he would physically show up as himself. Now, I mentioned before how Withers takes gold for his services, and I wanted to circle back around to that quickly while we're talking about gods and their actions in the Prime. The same reason that he accepts gold is actually the same reason that he contemns the Dead Three in the epilogue. Simply put, gods did not interfere or begin warring in the Prime because of how much power they hold. Gods were meant to be revered and worshipped by mortals, but not to be made a king of them, and that's actually very important to the gods. Gods who started interfering with the Prime out of self-interest are just begging for all of the other gods in the multiverse to eliminate them which is why Jerogal specifically defies the laws of death for the sake of bringing down the Dead Three. It is also why he accepts coin for his services. It acts as a sort of divine loophole. If you pay him to resurrect someone or change their class, then you're essentially hiring his services so that he can't be accused of doing it out of self-interest or for free. This kind of eliminates other gods putting a target on his back, specifically for helping out in the Prime for his own self-interest, because taking out the Dead Three is in his own self-interest as a former god of death. He's just kind of exploiting the fine text, so that if another god asks him what he's doing, he can kind of say he's being paid for his services. And this kind of goes in line with Wither's weird, jokey personality, but I've rambled long enough about Jericho without explaining who he is, and why Wither's being Jerigal, or an avatar of Jericho, is a big deal, other than the fact that he's a god. So instead of letting this be a 10-minute episode, let's dive into the lore of Jergal so we can get a better understanding of who he is. In the wiki, Jergal is listed as the Seneschal of Kelimvor, who we've mentioned before as the Lord of Death. A seneschal is a fancy word for steward, or some sort of administrative official. Jergal has had many titles over his reign, but he's most commonly referred to as the Lord of the End of Everything, which is just as metal as it sounds. He was Feyrun's original god of death before he eventually retired his position to the Dead 3, where he kept only a vague account of the fate of the world as the final scribe, who would keep records of the ultimate fate of all of the dead. Jergul, in the lore, reads much like how we see Withers in the game. He's described as a wizened and insubstantial creature, mummy-like in appearance with grey, tightly taut skin. Although, he's described as being very alien-like, somewhere between a humanoid and a praying mantis, with bulbous yellow eyes and insectoid mandibles, as well as a nose and ears indistinguishable from his head, which is to say that he doesn't have either. He also allegedly touted long claw-like hands, over which he wore a pair of white gloves. The latter description is definitely not what we see in the game, but perhaps that's because Jericho’s avatar was made to be a bit less revolting to the average humanoid races in Faerun, I imagine that seeing a mummified skeleton man in a nice robe is a bit less of a culture shock than seeing what is described as the aliens from District 9. By the way, if you don't get that reference, and if you haven't watched the movie, District 9, please do. It's one of my favorites. Jergal was also known to wear a billowing cloak that obscured most of his form, and seemed to absorb the very atmosphere around him. It moved as if there was wind blowing when there was none. Talk about being dramatic. The cloak's outer surface was a gate to the negative energy plane, which is basically the underworld, sometimes called the plane of death. And, as expected of a scribe, he would also appear with a quill, some fresh ink, and an intricate but incomprehensible script. While we're talking about forms, Jergal often appeared not as an alien insect man, but as an old mortal man with a great white beard and sunken eyes. However, he could take the form of any undead creature. When he did, he was able to amplify the form to match his own abilities. Unless the undead was of equal or greater power level. So by that, it sounds like he could just possess corpses, unless I'm mistaken. So that makes me wonder if Wither's body in-game was possibly the corpse of a priest, or some figurehead of the Church of Jerogal. And perhaps Jerogal chose that body to be his avatar. There's nothing really that supports that theory, but I think it makes an amount of sense. The fact that there's several bodies around the crypt that spring to life when you try to access the sarcophagus where Withers is makes it seem like they were trying to perform a rite or a ritual. Perhaps they knew that Jericho would inhabit the body in the sarcophagus, or perhaps they knew all along that that was Jericho's avatar and he was actually just taking a nap in there. It just seems weird to me that there would be a corpse in a sarcophagus that ends up being the avatar of a god. I think it makes more sense to me that he possessed that corpse, rather than coming down in his avatar form and just laying in a sarcophagus waiting to be found. But I guess maybe that goes back to the reason why he accepts gold for his transactions. Maybe the fact that the party found him seemingly by accident or by chance also kind of stops the other guards from putting a target on his back because it was the party who sought out the god of death, not the other way around. Maybe if Jerogal were to approach the party first, maybe that would have caused some problems. And I'm just spitballing this off the top of my head, but the more that I say that out loud, the more it actually seems to make sense. But as I mentioned before, Jericho was Faerun's original god of death, making him quite ancient, older than many of the other deities in Faerun. He was around during the time of the Netheril, which if you've played Baldur's Gate 3, you should be familiar with the name at the very least. The Netheril was home to the Netherese, who are known for their magic, which we learn about through Gale. These were the folks who decided that they were going to take hold of the fabric of magic, the weave, for themselves, destroying it in the process. But that's a whole other tale for another time because it is really far off topic. I just wanted to bring up the Netherese because if you know the timeline of Faerun, then my point is Jerogal is, like, really old. And I don't know about you, but I don't really like staying in one place for too long. And the same went for Jerogal, who after aeons of doing the same job as God of the Dead, got bored of his position and wished to pass it off to someone else. So he ceded his portfolio of death, murder, and strife to Bane, Baal, and Merkel. as we mentioned before. They called themselves the Dead Three or the Dark Three, depending on who you ask. Bane inherited tyranny and strife, Baal became the God of Murder, and Merkel was the Lord of the Dead. What I think is most interesting is how that whole relationship happened. It wasn't that the Dead Three were deities that wanted a change of scenery just like jergal but rather they were mortals who sought the path of godhood, and they happened to find it in jergal Now, I didn't know this prior to doing research for this episode, but mortals becoming gods was actually not as uncommon as you might think. Kelimvor, who we've mentioned before as the Lord of the Dead, was also once a mortal human fighter who became a god after killing the god Sirik, who was also a mortal human thief before his godhood. You might also know the name Azoth, who was given godhood with the help of Mistra, who was a mortal before the fall of Netheril. There are dozens of mortals who ascended to godhood with the help of another deity, which I find fascinating. The three adventurers, Bane the Tyrant, Baal the Assassin, and Merkel the Necromancer, made a pact with one another that they would ascend to godhood or die trying. It was no mistake that they came upon Jericho and took up his mantle, for that was ultimately their goal. Together they marshaled an alliance of champions from wizards to gnolls and gnomes to goliaths, and in the frozen forest they stalked their prey, Merrim of the Broken Spear, a primordial of the elemental chaos and one of the seven lost gods, whom together they felled and each stole a fragment of Merrim's divinity for themselves. Having a fragment of divinity didn't make them quite gods, but it did give them a bit of divine power to use as leverage. So it made them more powerful than the average person, or even a relatively strong person. And so they traveled to the Grey Waste in search of the Castle of Bone. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to guess that this is where our boy Jergal made his home. The three adventurers fought through hordes of undead, including skeletons, zombies, specters, wraiths, and even a lich or two to get there. After defeating Jergal's army, they entered the castle and gained an audience with Jergal, who sat on a throne made of bone—the bone throne. No, no, wait. That no, that just sounds wrong. Scratch that. Scratch that from the record. Mm-mm. Bane, Ball, and Merkel demanded that they should be the ones to sit upon the throne, bickering amongst one another for the title of the Lord of Death. I don't think the three expected all three of them to make it alive and probably expected that they would have to kill one another to be able to get the title of Lord of Death. They also probably expected that they would have to fight a god for it, but much to their surprise, jergal gave it up willingly. However, he said that he would only bestow his power of the Lord of Death upon one of the three individuals, and asked which among them would want to take the throne as Lord of Death. This caused the three to break out into yet another squabble where they bickered and fought about who should be the one to ascend. Jergal, already wary and wanting to retire, decided that the only way to resolve this matter was through a game of skill, and so the three were pitted against each other in a game of skull bowling, and you shouldn't have to stretch your imagination too far to figure out what that game entailed. Ultimately, the game went nowhere, and so Jergal suggested leaving it up to Lady Luck. He broke off his skeletal fingers and separated the knuckles so that the three could play knuckle bones. Sanitation concerns aside, Bane ended up the winner of the game, with Merkel in second and Ball in third. Now, I mentioned before how Jerogal would only give one person the honor of being lord of death, but that doesn't mean that the other two were just left empty-handed, as Jerogal did have a portfolio, and so Bane got to choose which of the portfolios he would take up, and he, of course, chose tyranny, strife, and hatred, being a tyrant himself. Merkel, as we knew, chose to be Lord of the Dead, and Bane was left with dominion over death and murder. Whether or not that's what Bane wanted, that's what he was left with, and the three were ascended to godhood, where they reigned for several centuries. Jerigal didn't give it all up and go on full retirement, though. He still acted as Seneschal to Merkel, the new Lord of the Dead. But that's not to say that he never left his post. He did, on occasion, get up to some shenanigans unrelated to being the steward of death. During the Second Sundering, Jergal was reported to be at the gate town of Sylvania, having a blast and inviting folks to join in a game of bocce ball in an undead club called the After Party. But being the former god of the dead, the ball was a skull. How fitting, and kind of hilarious. He's just mucking it up at different clubs, playing around with different undead. I, I think that's hilarious. And then centuries later, the events of the game would happen, and there isn't much to tell of Jergal past that point. As much as I would love to find out more about him, I just couldn't really find much else. However, while we can't really talk more about Jergal himself, we can briefly talk about the church of Jergal and exactly what they did. Their holy symbol that we would have seen in the Dank Crypt is a skull that carries a scroll in its mouth. Jergal is identified in 5e as being lawful neutral, as would make sense for the god of death, and we can assume that his scribes also took on that alignment. The members of Jergal's church are sometimes referred to as the Scriveners of Doom, but are often referred to as Jergalists, which I only just realized after saying out loud that it kind of sounds like journalists, which is kind of funny given that they just make note of the dead. But anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. They are a small but well-organized monastic order based mostly in places of death, such as graveyards, crypts, and mausoleums. The jergalists would spend their day focusing on writing, maintaining, researching, and updating their cast chronicles in the process of death as well as the afterlife. So, unlike the followers of Baal, Bane, or Merkel, the Jergalists were not cult-like in their activities, and didn't do ridiculous experiments, summon the dead, or relish in acts of brutality. Instead, those who ended up in the church were often druids or wizards that had some sort of interest in the process of death, decay, and the afterlife. To this point, the Jergalists would often seek to attain church-sponsored forms of undeath in order to continue their interests beyond their natural life. I would assume that church-sponsored forms of undeath means that being a lich was out of the question because that's typically seen as a bad thing. But then again, in Jergal's army that the three adventurers fought through, there were also liches in there. So, I wonder if lichdom is kind of a Jergalis end goal, so that they can kind of be immortal and research death, but I, I, I don't know about that. Aside from just archiving and studying death, the afterlife, and such, Jergalis would typically pray during dusk. Dusk represents the end of a day, and so is a holy time for them because it is symbolism of the end being a parallel for death. The Jergalis also had a ritual where once a year, on the night of another year, which I think is just a fancy term for New Year's Eve, the clergy would read every name whose death they had recorded in their scrolls over the past year. After doing this, they would cry out, one year closer, referring to it being one day closer that Jerigal's work was done. Kind of macabre, but it fits the bill. But that's kind of all I have for this episode. I wish that there were more, but like I mentioned in the Blood War episode, a lot of lore for d and is given through little bits of information, from handbooks to, like, short novels to just random inferences through other media. And so there aren't a ton of events or gods or people that are fully fleshed out. But in terms of someone being fleshed out in the D&D universe, Jergal is actually relatively fleshed out, no pun intended. Jergal is, in my opinion, one of the cooler gods in the Faerun pantheon. Maybe it's because of his nonchalant demeanor, or maybe it's because he's a god of death who was focused on actually doing his job instead of trying to strive for more or cause an apocalypse. <coughs> Merkel. <coughs> and speaking of Merkel, I feel like I kind of glossed over why Withers was trying to stop the Dead Three in Baldur's Gate 3. And the reason for that is because I don't really want main game spoilers in this episode. And also partially because I think I'm going to write an episode on the Dead 3, which will explain that in more detail. So if you want to hear about that, uh, please let me know and I'll be happy to write it up. But that brings us to this. What do you think? Do you think that Jergal was the best deity to hold the title of Lord of the Dead? Or what do you think of Jergal ceding his position to the Dead 3 so easily? Typically gods are power hungry, but Jerigal just seemed like he wanted to have a good time and do his job. It's not often that you hear about a god wanting to retire and do other things, but Jerogal is an interesting exception. You can find us online at Lord To Death on your favorite social media platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics, please send me a message wherever you can find me or at LordToDeath at gmail.com. If you're using Spotify, you can use the Spotify Q&A function on the app to leave me a comment or a suggestion or anything. I would love to hear from you. And remember, the value of a mortal's life is not something that can be answered easily. You can search within yourself to find the value of your own life, but it's impossible to put a value on someone else's. So instead of trying to evaluate other people, just be kind to those around you and treat everyone as an equal. And on that note, I'll lure you to death in the next one. See ya.